thank you Lord father I thank you Lord you want to be glorified and you're gonna do it Lord through people in this house Lord. father your plan is to manifest your power your mercy your wisdom your goodness through your people Lord father God I thank you that we will become vessels so full of light in these days those in darkness are going to come and grab hold of the Christian say what it is about you where does that life come from where does that peace come from where's our wisdom come from I need it Father God as we come today I want you to fill us afresh with all of that that we may shine more brightly Father God I'd let no one come in here today and leave the same Father God let us go home with our lamps filled and our lamps burning, Lord. Father, we need that fire again, Father God. Where it has grown dim, Father God, touch that person here today. Touch that person here today, Lord. You know, someone come in here today and you're actually looking at someone you're actually thinking why maybe it's your first time why do they pick up a flag and run with it i tell you why they do there's no fanaticism in this house when the holy spirit comes upon you you're going to want to jump you're going to want to dance the holy spirit energizes you to do something for jesus that's why people do it they prostrate themselves they raise their hands i just you you need to have that you need to have the holy spirit we don't want any fanaticism. What we want is freedom. When that anointing comes upon someone, we want to be free. And we are free to give Jesus what he demands. That is our worship and our praise. There was a lady who once saw that. She saw David doing it. He took off his thing and started to dance in his undergarments. And she despised his free worship. She became barren. Wherever there's free worship, there are despisers. Never despise other people's freedom great cost turn around to somebody today just say I bless you with every spiritual blessing today in the name of Jesus there's a lot of blessing there Hallelujah. Okay, let's come and take a seat. I tell you, if you were here on Friday night, uh, we had a good time in the Holy Ghost. There was a word, I just praise God. You know, uh, Ed was healed today and he gave a testimony. You know how many people are being healed over social media? We are getting so many messages from people in Africa, people from India, people from Egypt. So many people are being touched by God through this word. And I want to give a big thank you. I know there are people that serve in the creation, but the social media term, I, team, I want to thank you. You know, they are like, uh, they go beyond the poor. They are so committed that it doesn't, 
that all that content doesn't make itself. So I just want to just appreciate them today. Yeah. Bless them. Bless them. Really, it's the, I believe the internet is the net. You know Peter's net. 153 fish. Great catch. I think the internet is today's net. So we are excited by what God is doing. But I'm more excited by what God is going to do through you. And just back to the healing meeting. Do you know when we first started, I'm not preaching it, but when we first started, we used to be called a cult because of our healing meeting. And I was, <laughs> I was just reminded the other day, I thought, how many great things have happened through the healing meeting? And then you go through the Gospels, and you see that a third of Jesus' ministry was healing. And so a church that proclaims Jesus, that doesn't heal the sick... That's like a dysfunctional body because it's not like the head. And then I was led to Ezekiel 34 where these false shepherds are, everyone knows they're rebuked in, in Ezekiel 34. The false shepherds are rebuked because they are getting fat and growing fat off the people's offerings and, and not helping the people. But one of the things they're rebuked for is not healing the people. The shepherds are rebuked for not healing. We have been given the anointing, we have given the authority, and we ought to be healing the sick. And praise God, we've healed so many. We don't do it, but Jesus has healed so many people in this church. That made me happy anyway. Okay, I want to start the question today. I want to say, uh, what are we doing here? What are we doing here today? What are we doing here? What, why do you come here today? Why do you come to church? What are we doing? You can answer if you want to. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Someone said to my daughter recently, they said, um, I would like to come to your church, but I don't know how much it cost. She, she had the, the understanding, she had the misunderstanding that you had to pay to come to church. How sad. And uh, I think she'd never been to church. <laughs> That's how we're doing. And, and you know, some, some in the 80s and 90s, churches used to go away on these weekends, and they'd call them vision weekends. And they have to come back and come up with the vision for the church. You know, the, the, and it's really important to have vision. But you shouldn't need to go away on the weekend, <clears throat> particularly as a church, and to come up with a vision because the Word of God gives you the vision. And the vision statement of every church may vary in shape, ought to be this. This is what we're doing here every Sunday. And this is what I've been doing and my wife's been doing for 27 years. It's really simple. Making disciples. That's what we do. That's what we do when we go overseas. Because the passage my, my wife just read says, make disciples of all nations. We've baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. So the mission of the church is to make disciples. And one of the problems in the contemporary Western church, I believe, <coughs> is that we haven't fully understand that is a mandate. He says, I command you. And in a lot of the Western church that I've been in, a lot of the Western church 
I've seen so many people, they, they hear make an evangelistic message and they come forward and it's like invite Jesus into your or accept Jesus into your heart and you're going to go to heaven. And, and I, used to, I used to sit and I used to, I used to travel with an evangelist who used to do this over and over and over again. And people would get moved in the emotions, not the spirit. And they'd come forward. And then after a while, I used to get disturbed by it. And I found that you'll find that nowhere in the New Testament. That's nowhere in the New Testament. Well, it, it instead, and then, so that's one thing in the, in the contemporary church. And the other thing is that <coughs> many people believe the role, uh, our role is to be believers. And that is true. We are to believe the Word of God and be faithful and trust the Word of God. But this word here, disciples, is so much different to a church attender. Jesus didn't say make church attenders. It doesn't say make believers. He says go into the world for the making of disciples. Make disciples. And I want to say first, <coughs> that's your job, that's my job. It's the job of the church. It's a glorious job. And you can't make a disciple until you are a disciple. Because we reproduce what we are. So in order to make disciples, we've first got to become a disciple. And we've got to understand what a disciple is. In Jesus' day, John the Baptist had disciples before Jesus. And the word disciple, it was, if you had a disciple, you were a teacher. There were many Jewish teachers, but the, the disciples were people who were following the teacher. And their aim was to become exactly like the teacher. And they would, they would even mimic the walk of the teacher, the gate, right down to that. That's what the word meant. And when we look in the scriptures, the word disciple, it's, it's translated in the Greek, although it's not a perfect follower, but it's more like a radical follower. That's the translation. To become a disciple is someone who was first of all, experienced this radical change. So for you to be a, a disciple, you, 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 you haven't just started to come to church, but someone who's a disciple has experienced this radical change, and you see this radical change. I believe it's, it's, it's seen very much in the life of Peter, where Peter is fishing all night, and he can't catch any fish. And Jesus said to him, cast a net on the other side, and he catches a whole lot of fish, and what Jesus did, Jesus manifested his greatness. Nobody can do that. All night, Peter's a professional fisherman, and a carpenter comes and tells him how to. And as Jesus manifests his greatness, Peter says, depart from me a sinner. He becomes conscious of his sin. And this is what happens to us. The manifestation of Jesus' greatness doesn't come to us through a boat or fishing. It comes through the cross, that he who could do and be anything. Who, he who created all the universe and the cosmoses laid down his life for my sin. And when we, we actually have to have an encounter with the greatness of the cross. And when we do that, we have this experience that we are unworthy of this Jesus. We are unworthy of the forgiveness. But a, a, as a consequence of being forgiven, we are radically changed people. 
we were dead in sin, and then suddenly we're not only forgiven, but we receive the Holy Spirit, and we are alive, and there is a new life working in it. There is a radical change. Has that change happened to you? It needs to happen to you. And that's what, that's what a disciple, it begins with a radical change in your life. And then they were astonished at what Jesus did. And Jesus answered, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And they brought their boats and they forsook all and followed him. Now, they had a fishing business. It was a vital business. But once they experienced this radical change, they were in a place where... The change was so great, it was so impacted their hearts that they said, my business doesn't matter anymore. It's secondary. This Jesus is now my overwhelming obsession, if you like. They forsook their business. And they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how it was all going to work out. They just knew this one who changed my life, I was going to follow him. Don't know where I'm going. Don't know, don't know how it's going to work out. But I am going to leave all that. And in the spirit, this is what happens to a disciple. In the spirit, you leave all. You forsake the world. And you are prepared to do anything to follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is. You've experienced a radical change in your heart. And you are following him. At all costs. And Jesus, you know, he, he, he made this point really sharply. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, uh, whoever wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And then he unpacks it in verse 57, where it says, a man, it happened that as a man, as he journeyed along the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. So this guy comes up to Jesus with, with something which in churches today we would consider an amazing confession of faith. And Jesus wasn't impressed at all. He just said, foxes have holes, birds of the earth have nair, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, you follow me, you may lose your home. And then another guy comes up to me and says, I, I get it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come. And, and so he says, I'll, I'll do it, I, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you. And... Uh, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom. And another guy says, oh, no, I get it, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to those at my house. Jesus says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So Jesus was saying to be a follower of him, he has to be the priority above your family, above your business, and when you decide to follow him, you know, one guy said, he said, just, I, I, I'm going to follow you, but let me go back. And he was being a good Jewish boy. The Jewish boys had to honor their father. When, I, when my father dies, then I'm all yours. And Jesus said, forget it. Let the dead bury the dead. I need to be yours. You need to follow me now. And I need to be the greatest priority in your life. So a, a disciple is someone who's decided to follow Jesus. And out of that radical change says that, Jesus, you are the number one priority of my life now. Following you is the number one priority in my life. And uh, there's a cost to that. And Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and turns back. So you've got to consider that cost. 
Another time, Jesus says, those who go off to battle, consider the enemy first forces. You're going to be in a battle. You're going to be in a spiritual battle. But you say, okay, the enemy's going to attack me, but I, I don't care. I want, to be, I want to be with this Jesus. I want to be around this Jesus. I want to serve this one who has changed my life, and I will forsake all. I've weighed the cost, and I've made a decision. It's going to be costly. I'm going to be attacked. I may lose everything for him. I may lose my home. I may lose my job. I may lose my family. I may lose relationships. But I am going to follow him. And then, not only that, but I'm going to follow him and he is going to be my Lord. That means, James speaks about this, about Jesus has got to be not only my Savior, but my Lord. And uh, James, James 1.22 says, We need to be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourself. And then he says, if you're a doer of the word, if you live like this, you'll be blessed in what he does. And then he goes on to talk about kind of how madness it is. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, not if it he'll be blessed in what he does. And so, and he goes on to speak about, you know, if you're someone who has faith, there's going to be works attached to your faith, and it's not going to be a dead faith. It's not just going to be believing, but there's no evidence. You know, there, there are some believers today in some, ch in some churches, some movements, where, you know, and I've been in churches like this, I've been in churches where you hear just so much of the love of God, and the love of God, and the love of God, and that's all anyone ever hears, so there's no urgency to do anything. And people become fruitless, and they don't understand that God is love, but He's also consuming fire. They become, you know, sloppy with their life. And, and, and I think in the, in, the, in the wider Western church, I've seen this pathology over and over of time. And it's, it's kind of our fault. The church is, we've taught people over the years, since the Reformation of Martin Luther, that what we require of you is to attend, put some money in the plate, and give ascension, mental assent to what I say. But not necessarily be a doer of the word. It's like, my daughter Zoe, she's up here. Wouldn't she be beautiful from worshipping today? She's going to be embarrassed, but she's just amazing. She was up here. Imagine I go to her and I say to her, Zoe, clean your room today, which I do often. And she comes back to me and she goes, Dad, I memorized everything you said about cleaning a room. And in fact, I am going to go and, cons you know, I'm going to run a Bible study on how to clean a room. And then I go up in a room and it's still in the same state. I tell you, that's, that, that's a lot in the church today. I'm telling you, it's a lot in the church. We think we've got to understand forgiveness, not necessarily forgive. We think we've got to under, and just give mental assent to all these things and agree with the pastor. It doesn't change your life. It doesn't bring the blessing. We've got to actually read the Word of God, let it examine us, and a, a disciple is someone who is a doer of the Word. I just a doer, because Jesus is the Word. 
But like I said in the, in the start, in Matthew 28, Matthew 28 speaks about making disciples of the nations. Having become a disciple and having just sold out to Jesus, that's what I call it. I'm done. I, just, I know other people here have done this in this church over and over. There's something else that's, 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 that's missing for your life in the spirit to go into overdrive. And to get to that place where you say, it may be hard, but I am the most blessed person. I am the, I'm, I'm living the best life. I'm living an abundant life, just not a life. I am living the life that Jesus died to give. And this is it. Jesus said, having been, become a disciple, making Jesus your number one, selling out, becoming obedient to him. We then have to be people who make disciples. So it's no use just saying, well, I'm committed and I'm coming. And, uh, you know, um, one of the things I've learned over the years is that I, I don't hate the saying, but I'm kind of weary of it. When people say, Pastor, the reason I attend your church is I get fed. I'm like, well, that's, that's very, very good. But after getting fed, do you then go and feed? Because we, um, a disciple maker is someone who is not only fed, who is not only changed, who has not ex only experienced this radical difference that Jesus makes and has come to fully sell out and live in that blessing, but then they get other people in their room. This is why you've got to be relational. They get other people and they pour themselves into somebody else's life. And you say, how do you do that? It says there in verse 20, make disciples of all nations, baptizing the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things they command. It's simple. You, if you sit under this ministry long enough, you're going to learn something, I hope. You go to a Bible study, you're going to learn something. And even if you don't learn things academically, you say, I'm not, that, I'm not really a scholar. You have learned something when you become a disciple. You have learned how Jesus can change your life. You can learn how Jesus set you free. You learn how Jesus put this fire in your heart. You've actually learned something. And what you learn, that's what you teach others. Don't teach anyone anything that you haven't experienced. It'll be dead word. But teach people simply, pass on to others that which you've received revelation from. How is how he's changing? Get somebody and teach them what you have learned. That's how you make a disciple. A true disciple, if you're a true disciple, you reproduce. It's not just you. It's not just about me and mine. You know, my, me and my family, we've been blessed. We're getting the, it's about you are going to reproduce. And the way you reproduce is through teaching, but it's also in pouring your life out into somebody else. You know, you're, you can just give someone your time. You can, you can live and just listen to someone on the phone for an hour who's broken, and just, or you can, just, you can just say, I don't want to live in that world. But, but there are people out there, so many people who are empty, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're filled to overflowing, you'll want to pour into someone else's life. And you pour out what you know. You pour out your time, you pour out your money, you pour out your, what God is pouring into you, into other people. And you know what? This is something so profound. If you turn to two kings, I just got this. Two kings. There's a woman in this passage. 
two kings. And, uh, and the prophet hasn't been, you can read it when you get home, but he hasn't been a good prophet. He's actually left his family in debt. Don't do that. Look after your family. And uh, this prophet not been a good family, not provided for. So his wife's in debt. And she goes to the man of God and says, I, 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 they're going to take my kids and I'm in debt. And the prophet says to you, and God always says, what have you got? And she says, I've got nothing. He says, no, 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 nobody's ever got nothing. Everybody has always got a little bit of something. And he says, what do you got? She goes, I got a little bit of oil. And he says to her, pour out the little that you've got into other empty jars. They represent other people, their lives. And when she, by faith, and it always takes faith, poured out the little she had. And you think, I've only got, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like a pastor. I have, you got something of God. We've all got one talent. We've all got a little bit of something. And as she poured out the little, this is, this is so profound spiritually. I'm getting happy here. I don't but he, as she poured out the little, it multiplied and experienced the power of God. When you are somebody who actually pours your life out into others, you know you experience the power of God in your life. You see God doing miracles in and through you, and you can just keep pouring. You can keep pouring. You never get tired like that oil. It's because it's poured out. And, and Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering at the end of his life. Oh, I can relate to that. You just give and give. Some people say, like, how do you keep going after all these years? I tell you what, when your life is an offering to God and you're pouring out into others, there's a supernatural grace that comes upon you. You just, it just enables you to keep going. It can, it's the power of God and enables not only you to keep going, but to multiply. So a disciple is somebody who is not just a believer, you know, not just uh, come into church to get a word, hopefully go back. So many people today, their, their lives are no different to the world. The only difference is they use Christian language. They drink as much, use the same language. You don't know they're believers. You don't know they're, they're disciples. Yet they say, they go to church and I believe. I was mentoring this one guy recently and uh, there was a sexual issue. And I said to him, I said, look, I said, you've got you to clean that part of your life up. Now, Jesus said you've got to leave family, you've got to leave relationships for the sake of his. And this guy actually said to me, he said, I'm not ready to do that, but what I am, I'll come back. And he believed he was a Christian. And I actually said to him both, I said, no, you're not. No, you're not. There is a cost to following Jesus that must be paid. It must be paid. And, and people can be deceived. That's why, you know, th th we've got to be serious. There are many in the scriptures that are going to say, Lord, Lord. He said, I never knew you. That's, that's just the word. But a disciple has been radically changed, decided to pay the price, and is not just a hearer of the word, is actually a doer.
Word of God says, I can't be unequally yoked. I've got to let that relationship go because the Word of God says it. Word of God says, even when I'm hurt, I've got to forgive. I will forgive. It's a choice because the Word of God says it. Word of God says, honor your parents, even though they weren't the best to you. Don't stand there and say, but you don't understand. You honor your parents because you are a doer of the word. So a, a disciple is someone who's made that commitment, but also someone who has got some other people, even if it's one person. But you are going to teach them the things you've learned, and you will pour yourself out into their life. And as you do, you will know the power of God. You will know he is, he, is, he is with me. He is opening doors. He is doing things. He's healing. He's just providing provision over my life. The power of God is working in my family, in my children, because there's a flow. You know, just let me tell you this. The Jordan River in the Scriptures is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Jordan is where you cross into the promised land. From the wilderness to the promised land, it's the baptism of the Spirit through the Jordan. This is spiritual things. Elijah went up at the Jordan. He was a man of the Holy Spirit. Every time you see the Jordan River, it's, it's related to the Holy Spirit. And the Jordan, it, it actually, the Jordan flows into two pieces of water. One piece of water is called the Sea of Arabah. And if you go to the Sea of Arabah, I've been in Israel, everything is fertile. It's amazing. Everything lives, like Ezekiel's river. It's so fertile. And then the other bit of water that the, the Jordan flows into is called the Dead Sea. Everything, as its name suggests, is dead. <laughs> everything around it is dead. You know the difference between the two water bodies? The Jordan, everything that flows into it, it keeps. Nothing goes out of it. The Arabah retains nothing. Everything that comes in goes out. If you, just, if you just, just get fed and you just get filled with the Holy Spirit and there's no outflow, that water becomes putrid. It, it becomes defiled. It's a, so there is a blessing what we get has to go out. That's what a and that's how you make disciples. You disciple others by simply giving away. Find someone to give away what you've got. And so many people today, they have no revelation. They never take it, bring anyone to church. Never witness to anybody. You know, it's a, it is a real issue. I'm not being Debbie Downer today, but it's a real issue. Because Jesus says, you know, if you're a secret believer... If, you're, if you don't witness to other people, he says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my heavenly Father. That means your prayer requests are going to be denied. So it's very important that if we are, if we are disciples, we've made that commitment. We also say, God, bring some, someone into my life who I can teach the precious things that I've learned. How many precious things have you learned that have changed your life?
How many things have you learned that have brought blessing and prosperity to your life? How many things from the Word of God have you learned that have changed your family? You've experienced the change. And, and, and God says we need to get other people get other people and teach them teach them all the things i've commanded them so just just whatever you've learned get somebody pray that god's bring someone into your life that you can simply share what you've learned and uh you know as you share that as you share as you pour out like i said you, the, the, the benefit is you will experience the power of God and the multiplication of God in your life as you teach others. But I want to tell you one thing. It, it, let's just look at Luke, John chapter 6. I want to look at this quickly. Um, now, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. You can't improve on Jesus. This is Jesus who's healed, you know, unhealable diseases. He's He's touched lepers and driven their leprosy. He's even raised the dead by this stage. And, it said, and, and Jesus then, he, he actually teaches them something they're not ready for. And sometimes even as a leader you do that. You teach people they're not ready for it, but it's the Word of God. And, uh, and he's teaching them and he's telling them that unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You have no life in you. That's verse 53 of John chapter 6. And he didn't tell them. He was talking about the communion that we, we do today. He didn't unpack that. He just made that comment. Left it there. And then it says that when they heard this, verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Then when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit which gives life. Oh, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some here who you do not, do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by my Father. From that time, many of these disciples went back and walked with him no more. When Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to also go away? Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them and said, did not I choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him being one of the twelve. So it's Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. Eat my body, drink my flesh. And when he said that, because he didn't unpack it, it says his sayings was hard. Does this offend you? Sometimes you will teach people things just by preaching the word of God. I'm telling you, people get offended. I've seen it time after time. Even leaders can get offended. You're just, and all you're doing is preaching the Word of God. You're preaching the Word of God, and people 
become effective. You're teaching people. You're just pouring your life out into others. You're trying to give them what you've got, and they become offended. You know, I, I just tell you something this. Almost over the years, I've taught, we teach the whole counsel of God. But every now and then, I'll teach on submission. And one of the things I'll preach on about submission, you know, submit to the government, submit all these things, submit to your pastor. And I'll say uh, as well, you can't change the New Testament to suit yourself or the culture. Wives, submit to your husband. And I'll say, husbands, you know, the, 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 the main um, uh, part of that command is husbands love your wife like Christ judged the church. And I always make that point. But in return, wives are to submit to that godly headship. Every time I preach that, someone leaves the church. Every single time, I just wait for it, and they leave. Because the word has offended them. Sometimes I'll go to someone, and I'll say, because this is, a, this is a result of a shepherd, I'll go to someone and say, I see this in your life, and, and you know, the word of God says you've got to eliminate it. Sometimes people are teachers, because in the scriptures, there's fathers and sons. Paul says you've got many teachers, not many fathers. Fathers, they actually raise up sons, and part of the role of a father is to discipline a child. But it's a blessing. It's a sign that God loves you. If you've got things in your life and no one points them out, they're wrong, well, how are you going to change? How are you going to grow? But sometimes you come and you do that to people. You're, you're discipling them. You're pouring into them. I've experienced it. You're giving your life to them. You're taking them, you're loving them, you're laying it out, you're showing them things that angels would like to look into. And you say one thing and they get offended and they're gone. Sometimes I preach on healing. People just, they just leave. They go like, well, I, I was sick and I wasn't healed. It's not your experience, it's the Word of God. And here it is. You know, and some people will say to me, they say, well, pastor, over the years I've seen people come to this church and leave the church. So there's something wrong with the church. Jesus, or something wrong with me, Jesus, he taught in Matthew 13 that the word, this is how the word comes, you speak it, you sow it. And all my job is, is just to have the word of revelation that I've got from heaven every week, and I just speak it. This is why people come to the church. If you just spread the seed, birds come, you'd have to make them come. Sooner or later, people say, there's a living word there. And they come. But it says in this, in this passage, it says that a quarter, the, or the devil came and stole some of that seed. Some of the seed didn't produce anything because uh, cares of the world and the riches. And unpack the whole parable. Jesus said, only a quarter, only a quarter is going to take root and become super fruitful. But that's one in four. That's 25%. So when you're walking with people, you're loving them, you're pouring into them, don't be upset when people leave you. And this is one thing that I always say. Why did the 12 stay with Jesus? Peter says, you have the words, that's revelation, and you are the Christ, that is anointing. People will stay with you. If you carry an anointing and you carry revelation. But some will be offended by what you teach them. You can't improve on Jesus. At this stage, it actually says, many left him. 
Many left him. But I tell you what, when people, you're laying down your life, you're giving, you're teaching them, all you want is the best of them. You have no other agenda except to give them their, you know, Christ, let them discover their purpose, let them, let them come into all the blessings. That's all you're, but, but when that happens, there's two things. Always stay on the high road. <laughs> Sometimes if people run away from you, they may get offended and come at you a bit. Stay on the high road. Never get off that high road. But secondly, people who leave you, when they left Jesus, did he chase them? No. Did he go and grab them and say, don't leave me? No. If people want to leave you, let them. The right people will come around you. Let them go. There will come a time later when maybe you can go after them. But if they have been offended by your, your teaching, don't chase them. It's a waste of time. Because you can't improve on Jesus. On Jesus. After a while, you can call them. But don't try to get them back when they're offended. You're just going to waste your time. And it will happen. It will happen. You know, I, I, I disciple. We are called to be disciples. We are called to make disciples. And I am uh, I'm, I'm speaking this today because it's been, in my, it's been in my heart for many, many years. And I, I've spent years in traveling the world where I see the, the zeal and the commitment and the great cost of Christians in Pakistan and e Egypt and these places, Uganda, where they're just... Pastors never get a holiday, but they live for Jesus. Their lives have been transformed, and they serve Him. They pay such a price. And I come back to the church in Australia. Often people just can't even be bothered to come to church because the sun's good and the beach is good today. It, it, there, is, there is just such a need to understand what a disciple is. And I don't say that, I don't say that to condemn anybody, but what it is is you are missing the blessings. You know, it says that he who hears my word and does them, it's he who will be blessed. That half-hearted kind of greasy, oh, God loves me kind of stuff. It just, you get nothing. Here's, here's, here's the sum. In the kingdom, it's everything for everything. It's everything for everything. So uh, Matthew 8 summarizes really what a disciple is. It says that if you, because it says the word follower, it says that, if you will deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. He says, you know, you, you'll lose your life, but you'll gain it. What he means is as you make that choice, there's going to be a loss at first. You're going to close down options. You're going to lose relationships. But what you're going to find in, in, in replacement is the abundant life Jesus told, said he came to give you. You'll just discover, as you fully commit to him, this peace that flows all the time, this joy that's always here, this anointing, these doors that continually open because you, you're willing to deny yourself. When something comes along in the Word of God says, no, you're willing to deny your flesh. I'm not going to that place. I'm not going to that person because the Word of God, that's how the abundant life comes to you. And, and here's what Jesus says. You know, he says, if you follow me like that, I love this. A woman who was condemned, we've preached this many times before, a woman who was condemned for adultery, Jesus came and said, I don't, 
condemn you and he, and he forgave her. But then he said, go and sin no more. And then he said this, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So if you become, that word follow is the same word for disciple in other places. If you become one of these sold out Christians who, you know, Jesus is your everything. You're going to do what he says. You, 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 you're going to pay the price, even if you lose relations, even if you lose family. Jesus serving him and following is your number one priority. If you walk like that with him, if you walk like that, it says this, it says, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. That means that you will not have ongoing depression. You will not have ongoing dismay. You'll have not have an ongoing sickness. This all comes from the kingdom of darkness. That stuff may visit you, but when Jesus sees that you follow him like that, he says, instead of darkness, you'll have the light of life. His presence will continually come upon everything that attacks you. And the attacks will be, they'll be temporary. They will not be permanent. He says, he who follows me will not remain, shall not walk in darkness. It shall not be your default. You may get attacked, but it'll be temporary because you have the light. That is his presence coming into you constantly to raise you back up, to destroy that thing which is trying to destroy you because you really are a blood-washed, cross-carrying, self-denying follower. You know, this is really, really important. And you know, um, I just look at Matthew 26 to finish. Matthew chapter 26, here's Peter, and Peter, Peter loves Jesus, and I like this passage, he loves Jesus, Just like, and he's been following Jesus for a long time, but he's got a chink in his armor, some people do, we all do, and he, he says, you know, his chink is pride. And pride comes before a fall. Much pr pride is hidden behind false humility. The proudest people I know act humble and fool a lot of people. Here's Peter, and he says, you know, Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. They're all going to run away. Jesus says this to the community. They're all going to forsake me. And Peter says, not me. I love you too much. I, not me. Peter says, I am not going to fail you. And he meant it. He said, Jesus, I've seen you do it. I am not going to fail you. But he did fail him completely. Who said to God, I'm not going to fail you? And then I fail him tomorrow. I've said to God, I'm not going to fail you in this thing again. And I failed him again. But praise God, Jesus came back to Peter. He doesn't abandon us. Even when we fail, he comes back. As long as you're committed to him, as long as you've made that discipleship commitment, even when you fail, fail failure is never final for a disciple. It's courage that counts. So Peter, he fails as we can fail, but then he experiences grace. But the thing is, what is the reason he fell? What is the reason that we fall? What is the reason that we fail, Jesus? I, God gave me this revelation before. In this passage, Jesus had been following Jesus for three years. And then he says in verse 58, but in the courtyard, Peter followed him at a distance. 
at a distance. He's still following, but there's a distance. You can be following, but a distance can get in. Your family can cause the distance. Your work can cause the distance. But you know there used to be a fire there. You, you know there used to be anointing. You know there used to be a power there. You know there used to be a, a flame burning, a first love, and something has been lost. I want to tell you, that's a dangerous place to be. That is a dangerous place to be. Following, but at a distance. This is why David experienced the same thing as Peter. David fell. He loved God. He loved, he was complete and he paid such a great price following God, but he fell when he looked at Bathsheba. And I believe it was the exactly same reason he fell, that he was following, but when he came into his kingdom, all that success and all that of the world that he has created a distance. He didn't have that intimacy, that first love. This is why he says after his fall and he comes back and he learns, he says in Psalm 63, 8, my soul follows close behind you and your right hand upholds me. My soul follows close behind you. I'm not letting family get in. I'm not letting work get in. I'm not letting anything, my kids, I'm not letting the dog, whatever it is, I'm not letting money get in. I'm not letting success get between me and you, Jesus. I am going to press in. As J. David says, I am going to follow close. Paul says, I'm going to press in and press on. And I believe today, I believe today there are some people here who have been coming to church and maybe they've even been taught this, that what we require, what the church requires is that you do attend and you believe and wave your hands and shout a lot when you come to church. You know, when they came into Jerusalem and they were all crying out, Hosanna, 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 Jesus was not moved one little bit. You know why? You know why he wasn't moved? Because those people crying out, Hosanna, had heard about his miracles, maybe seen some of them, were moved by it, even loved him. But they were fans of Jesus not followers. They hadn't made that shift from being a fan to that place where you say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No matter the cost, no matter if they jail me, no matter if I lose my home, I'll consider it all dross if I can have him. No matter if they speak about me, no matter if they leave me or forsake me, no matter if they betray me, I've counted the cost. No turning back. No turning back. I believe some people here, you're experiencing darkness and it's because you haven't made that shift. And Jesus is saying today, I want you to move. You follow him because he prospers. You follow him because he blesses you. 
You follow him for those reasons. But that's not a disciple. A disciple says, not only have you blessed and prospered me, but I'm going to pour out into someone else's life. I believe there are people here who are fans, not followers. I believe people here, you are disciples, but you're not discipling somebody else. And I believe people are here today also. You're following from a distance. And God is calling you to get your first love back. We are going to actually, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I am going to sing. Look out. And as I sing, Holy Spirit is here. I feel such a thickness in the anointing that if you know, don't hold back, if you know you've just been a fan, but your commitment is not full. I want you to come forward today. I want you to come forward and say, today, Jesus, I'm surrendering all. It's not emotional. It's a choice. I will follow you. I'll deny myself, pick up my cross, whatever it costs me, and follow you. If I lose the job, if I lose the house, if I lose my relationships, it doesn't matter. You are worth it, Jesus. Other people, someone else here, you, you are a disciple. But it's all about you. It's all about you being prospered, you being blessed, you getting victory. And you haven't got anyone to pour your life into. I want you to come forward and believe that God is going to bring people in your life for you to teach and to pour into so that you experience the power and the multiplication of God in your life and in your family. And finally, those people that you know, there is a distance. I don't know how it's got in, maybe just life. And you know you're not close to him anymore. You know your, your heart is not like John's, pressed up against his heart. That's how it's got to be. Some people here, you've been teaching people, you've been hurt. God says he's going to heal your heart today. Don't stop teaching.